As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) What's up, guys? Sorry for the uh, late episode drop. Got a little... uh, Wrapped up in my Friday night. I'm sure you'll forgive me, but here we are. It's Saturday and um, cranking out this uh, episode that I promised. The main focus will be on the uh, 1920 football drive video that the Bears dropped earlier this week. It was um, taking place, I believe, end of May, beginning of June, the last of uh, OTAs. It was the last workout before they broke, uh, before training camp. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. The The... The main event of the video being when former Bears defensive coordinator Rod Marinelli and uh, Matt Eberflus' mentor uh, came in and spoke to the team um, at, at some point during, the, uh, during those OTAs. An amazing speech. And um, I have clips. I'm going to break it down. It's, uh, it's, it's good, good stuff. So um, got plenty to get to, not to mention all the news and notes and the happenings coming out of Hallis Hall for our week one of uh, training camp. Hopefully week two will be as eventful so we can do this again next week um, and uh, kind of get me off my ass and, and doing something before the preseason game starts in, uh, in uh, mid-August. So uh, give me a little something uh, uh, to do because right now it's like I'm, I'm desperate to keep going. I just want to keep doing shows and there's nothing really going on. Uh, you know, they had camp today and, you know, it's like I'm not going to come in here and talk about, oh, yeah, the, the offense went, you know, 12 for 16 and a seven on seven it's who cares you know it's like when we got actual news to talk about I mean there was just news all over the place uh this week we'll cover it all but um you know hopefully it'll be you know something close to this maybe it won't be as long as today's show with all that we have to cover because not only am I going to talk about all the news and notes not only am I going to do the 1920 football drive but I'm also um because it seems like the NFL it's uh, or the teams I should say are done announcing alternatives I'm going to do a power ranking on the alternative slash throwback uh, uniforms or helmets, I should say, uh, that were uh, released, announced, uh, you know, introduced by uh, the various teams. 13 in all, including our beloved's orange helmet. So we'll get to it all. So let's go ahead and and dive right in. Um, I'm calling this the 1920 football drive review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. So here we are, week one of training camp, closing as we speak, or actually it's probably already done, that the teams generally 
practice in the mornings, and here it is about noon uh, on Saturday. And, um, you know, so week one is, is in the books. They have a day off tomorrow. They practice on Monday, and then finally on Tuesday is what I hear will be the first padded practice uh, of 2022. Now, the fact that it, I thought it used to be like three practice sessions, you're in pads. Maybe Eberflus and company are slow rolling this thing or whatever. Maybe they want to stack a couple of, uh, you know, contact practices together next week. And that's why they, they, you know, they did all of the, all of the, you know, the, or the early stuff, uh, like the first week, it's all shirts and and helmets kind of thing. You know, maybe they want to stack a couple of them together. Like, you know, Tuesday will be one, then you get a regular, you know, helmets and and shirts and then Thursday, another uh, hitting practice or something. We'll see. But uh, maybe that's their strategy, and we'll see how that uh, how that rolls out. But um, you know, it's uh, they they wrapped up. I think day four of practice uh, today, and um, you know, obviously mixed reviews. You've been hearing about well, you know, the offense struggled today. It was like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. It's they're in shirts and and you know, t shirts and, and and helmets right now. They're kind of you know, pillow fighting out there. I'll worry more if the offense struggles when we're actually out there hitting each other and we can run the ball and uh, and things like that. And we really kind of try to get to open up the offense a little bit and, and see how she flies. But um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll 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 revisit that as as often as we can uh, going forward. But if that's all the news there is, then I won't be back next week. Uh, we're gonna want some things uh, like like everything that I have here for you. There's plenty. So let's go ahead and dive into the news and notes when the Bears reported to camp. Uh, number one, uh, the first thing that happened this week was Jacon Brisker, who was kind of holding out, did not report when the rookies did last weekend, uh, signed his his contract. There was some uh, squabbling over, I think, the amount of guaranteed money in his in the third year uh, of his contract. I guess he wanted something on it and, uh, you know, didn't want the Bears to be able to cut him loose after the second year or whatever it was. But um, nonetheless, he got the deal done, so he was able to report on time on Tuesday with the veterans. And uh, also reporting to camp on time, Roquan Smith. Uh, but there's a caveat with Roquan. Uh, I'm not sure what it is that, uh, that this has become a trend. It's, it's called a hold-in, uh, if you will. But Roquan has reported to camp. He is in Hallis Hall with his teammates. He's attending meetings and everything. But he's on the physically unable to perform list because he is technically holding out for a contract. But he's with the team. He's going through the meetings. He's attending practice. But he can't and won't participate, I guess, until his contract situation is uh, straightened out. So, I don't know. There's something that feels a lot different about him actually being in the building, being with his teammates, especially in a year like this. We've got a new defense, a new defensive scheme. And everything, I want him in the building, you know, at least taking the mental reps and learning as much as he possibly can before he can, uh, before he gets his contract straightened out and is actually on the field uh, with his teammates. So, mixed feelings about it. No, you don't want him holding out. You want him on the field. You want him practicing. Uh, but we also want to lock Roquan up. He's not one of those guys that, uh, you know, we want to let get away. I mean, I know that I've said this a thousand times in all the, all the years that Ryan Pace was the general manager his goal was to be like the Green Bay Packers. His example was Green Bay currently, as we head into the offseason, has 47 guys on their roster. 46 of them have only ever been Green Bay Packers. And then he went through his entire tenure flying in the, in the face of, of, that, uh, 
of that statement. Letting guys like Nick Witkowski go, you know, all that kind of. There's a bunch of guys that we, that we built up in house that we developed that are playing for other football teams, like Adrian Amos, like Bryce Callahan, uh, and so on. The list goes on and on of guys that he let get away, and um, you know, so hopefully Roquan's not one of those guys we want to let go because he's going to get better as he goes along. I mean, he's improved steadily each year in his in his time in a Bear uniform. He's you know, on his way to being the next, you know, Erlacher, Singletary, you know, joining that group as one of the legends. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline linebackers uh, of this franchise and we don't want him doing that in another uniform to hell with that get him signed up get him locked up do i want roquan making 20 million a season no but is that what's going to cost to keep him probably so that's what you got to pay him so we got the money in the salary cap next week the or next week next seat next year not to mention when the tv deals kick in i think in 2023 everybody's revenue goes up and there will be more money to spend so We'll uh, we'll just have to take the bullet right now and uh, put get Roquan on the books for the next four or five years and uh, lock him down. We want him to be a part of this next phase. So the other person that reported to camp after all kinds of uh, rumors, after staying away from the team during OTAs and, and voluntary and mandatory uh, practices, Robert Quinn reported on time. And not only did he report on time, he's been practicing. So he's not holding out, wanting out of Chicago or anything like that, as the rumors uh, have stated. Uh, I, I didn't hear all of his comments when he met with the with the press. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know if anyone flat out asked him if he wanted out of Chicago or anything like that. But uh, when asked why he wasn't at those uh, meetings, uh, he simply told them uh, told the press corps that uh, he was taking care of his body. He's going into year twelve, and you know, basically didn't think that he needed to be there. So. I'm not mad at him. He's a 12-year veteran. He's play and he's and he's going back to a system he's familiar with. He was actually with Eberflus in Dallas before he came to Chicago. So, or he spent some time with with Eberflus in Dallas, so he knows the defense that they are bringing uh to Chicago. So, yeah, I'm going to give Robert Quinn a pass, especially since he put all of our we, uh, worries and fears to rest by showing up and then by practicing with the team. So I'd like to think that the Robert Quinn thing has been put to bed, at least for now. Anyway, is it still possible he might be traded? Probably, but, uh, you know, or possible at least. Will he get traded? I hope not. I would really like to hang on to him. I don't really want to start all the way over uh, on defense, especially since it looks like we finally have a secondary. The uh, Our top two picks in, uh, you know, Kylo Gordon and uh, – Jaquan Brisker have been showing out in practice so far. So to go along with Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson, hopefully we get, you know, we get the old Eddie Jackson back and, uh, and everything. And then 
we'll have the best secondary in the NFC and, uh, you know, we'll take it from there. So uh, I would really like Robert Quinn to be a part of that, to be a mentor, to, especially with that Dominique Robinson in camp. He's only played the position for two years and got himself drafted uh, as a defensive end to learn from one of the best pass rushers currently in the NFL right now would be highly beneficial to him. I want him to be a part of this. So, and not to mention his cap number is like 12 million, which is chump change in today's NFL. So, okay. So now we've talked about the old guys. Let's talk about a couple of the new ones. The bears at the last minute signing some uh, veteran offensive linemen uh, to join the team. The first of which being uh, Michael Schofield. Uh, lastly of the uh, LA Chargers started 15 games uh, at right guard for the Chargers last year, blocking for, uh, I was going to say Khalil Herbert. Wouldn't that have been nice? But for Justin Herbert, uh, the, you know, the young stud quarterback for the, uh, for the Chargers uh, out there, one of the least penalized offensive linemen in the league. Hopefully that will be a trend that continues because uh, God knows we could definitely use cutting back on the, on the mistakes. Uh, he was a member of the Broncos Super Bowl 50 team. It was the Broncos that uh, drafted him back in 2014, and he was one of the starting guards on that team when, uh, when Von Miller and that defense made one Peyton Manning one more ring against the Panthers uh, back in Super Bowl 50. He started 83 of 103 games in his career thus far, and he is replacing Dakota Dozier, who I'm sure we all know uh, suffered a knee injury in OTAs was having season-ending uh, knee injury to repair a torn ACL. He is done, uh, unfortunately, for him. But uh, probably fortunately for us, because that was not something I was looking forward to going forward with Dakota Dozier. He's, uh, he was not good in Minnesota, and we didn't want to... Yeah. Uh, and the other intriguing thing about Michael Schofield, he is a Chicago-area native. Grew up a huge uh, Bear fan, so there's another guy living the dream. We've signed a few of those. Uh, James O'Shaughnessy, the tight end from the Jaguars, grew up uh, in the area, uh, went to Illinois State, uh, you know, traveled around with the, Jag- with, like, with the Jags and such, signed to come home to play with the Bears. Will he make the team? Uh, time will tell, but for, a li- for at least a little while, he gets to wear the, uh, the Navy and the orange. The Navy. Navy being the emphasis on that one. The goddamn orange helmets. I hate those things so much. And then the, the other thing was the day one of camp, the Bears signed an offensive tackle in Riley Reef, And uh, for a moment there, I guess I was getting my Iowa offensive tackles uh, mixed up as I was reminded by our good friend Evan Western from Acme Packing. He thought I was thinking of Brian Bulaga. I was like, well, Bulaga only ever played for the Packers, so I know I'm not thinking of him, but maybe I am mixing the two of them together because Riley Reef was drafted by the Lions played for the Vikings, and last year he was with Cincinnati, and I was thinking that him signing with us meant that that was a a clean sweep, that that he played at least a season or two for Green Bay, and that's not the case. He does not play. He went from Detroit to Minnesota to Cincinnati, now in Chicago, so at least it's a clean clean sweep. He is a Midwestern North guy for sure. Three trips in the NFC North and then one year uh, with the uh, defending AFC champs in Cincinnati. So also coming off a year where he was playing with a young quarterback uh, going into year two uh, of his career and the growth that he sustained uh, in year two, hopefully the history will repeat itself and uh, we'll be able to uh, uh, enjoy a successful uh, season where we see 
the growth from Justin Fields, and we, we see him live the potential uh, of what he was uh, in college. That would be awesome. So let's see. What else we got? Oh, by the way, by my view, going out and looking, comments and such from the, the orange helmets, not uh, – I mean, obviously, it has its supporters for sure. Um, but uh, for the most part – yeah, people, it's – I think the helmet alone, people are kind of okay. I mean, I hate it across the board, but I think the helmet alone is kind of more of a 50-50 split. But when combined with the orange jersey, it's just too much. It is just too much, and, uh, yeah, it's it's not getting high praise. That's for sure. Uh, whether it be from fans or media or, or anything like that, it's just not – I mean, and, and the other thing is, it's it's one extreme or the other. You either love it or you hate it. It's not one of those, eh, it's all right. I haven't seen one person say that yet. I haven't said they're like, eh, it's not that bad, or yeah, it's okay. It's either like, oh, my God, these are fire, or oh, my God, these are a dumpster fire. It's just it's one or the other. You guys know which way I lean. I will reemphasize that at the end of the show when we do our throwback slash alternative uh, power rankings. So, uh, but, yeah. It's, uh, I'm seeing more negative than positive as far as the response to that god-awful shit. Or, uh, you know, like I said, and, and, and those in support of it love it. Those that don't like it hate it. So, and obviously, I would fall in the hate category. So, And then finally, one of the bigger things to come out, not so much of Hollis Hall this week, but just not news in general, was the city of Chicago and uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, released a proposal to keep the Bears in Chicago with a renovation of Soldier Field. Now, the, the plans are interesting, and quite frankly, the renderings, the drawings of what it would look like, they look fantastic. I think they look really cool. However, there's, it's too little too late, and they would still own the stadium. The Bears would still be one of the only franchises, if not the only franchise, not to own their home stadium. And that's the thing that they just can't or won't, maybe. Maybe that's the thing. Because that was what Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic, uh, I saw him tweeted out. It's like, if you want to keep the Bears in Chicago, sell them Soldier Field. You know, and then a renovation of Soldier Field won't be, won't be as ridiculous of a thought as it is right now. Because, uh, you know, one of the big things about Arlington Heights is that the Bears will own their stadium Lock, stock, and barrel, not to mention to be able to take part in the profit of other of the like the hotel and casino and, and whatever all the other plans are. That Arlington lot is massive. There's going to be stores. There's going to be restaurants, a hotel. The whole nine yards are, are going to be all right there uh, next to that stadium. So it's um, it, they just can't offer what Arlington Heights is offering. And this is this is something they should have done 20 years ago when they renovated Soldier Field the first time around. And, and because this renovation adds 9,000 seats to Soldier Field because it increases capacity from 61,000 to 70. I think there's a few more suites added to it and a like a U.S. Bank-style uh, glass dome or roof, I should say. It's not really even a dome. It's a roof placed over the top uh, of Soldier Field because by, my, by the renderings, maybe I'm just looking at them wrong, but looking at the renderings, it almost seems like it's an open-air, enclosed stadium. Like there's a dome or a roof over the top 
but the end zones are open. Now, like I said, I think the draws, the drawings look. Excuse me. I think the drawings look amazing. Um, I really like the idea of the you know the 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 dome over top uh, of Chicago. I, I really just would like the Bears to step into the 21st century. The whole that whole bear weather thing died with the Ditka era Bears. It's it's not a thing anymore. It really. I mean, over the last 30 years since Ditka hasn't been our head coach, can you name more than five games where the Bears won because of the weather? I can only think of two. I mean, there were big games. None, none, you know, don't get me wrong, but the only two games that I can see where the Bears came out ahead, and you could blame the weather as a significant factor. Number one was the 2006 NFC Championship game, the the domed, you know, Indy in uh, New Orleans Saints just couldn't keep up with the Bears in the second half when the weather turned and it started snowing and it got ugly. The momentum went with this. It's like it's like when the weather when the weather turned, the momentum turned, and the Bears ran away with it uh, at the end. And then the other one would be it, it clearly seemed like the LA Rams were affected by the weather in 2018. They came in here for like that mid December matchup on Sunday Night Football, and the Bears dominated that game uh, defensively. And it really seemed like the Rams were out of their element in the cold uh, in in December. Outside of that. I can't really think of any other examples off the top of my head where weather was a significant factor uh, in the football game. And, you know, more times than not, when the weather's been bad, the Bears don't win. So, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, a, the, the weather being a myth and the team's not being that good. So I think we should just let go of the idea of playing in the open uh, air uh, and everything. It's like I'm, I'm all for tradition uh, myself, but... The weather hasn't been a factor for the Bears in such a long time. It, it, that's a silly reason to not want a dome over the stadium. So, um, but it's it's like two point two billion dollars to renovate the stadium. They didn't have a plan on where the Bears would play while they were doing this. And you know, I also have concerns about the end zones being open because if you think Soldier Field is a nightmare to kick in. When there's no dome over the top, you're creating a wind tunnel. If the if the top is closed or enclosed, has a roof on it, and the end zones are open, because the Soldier Field is literally on the lakefront, and the wind coming off the lakefront makes Soldier Field a difficult enough place to kick in as it is. But now you've got the end zones open on each side of the stadium. You're creating an enormous wind tunnel to try to kick footballs in. And that's not something that people have been talking about. So maybe I'm looking at the drawings wrong and I'm not seeing the glass windows or whatever that would be closing the stadium off. But uh, that's what I've been seeing. And uh, to me, it look, kind of looks like um, a combination of, of Lucas Oil Stadium and U.S. Bank Stadium, where we've got that kind of glass dome over the top, a la U.S. Bank, where the Vikings play. And then... Uh, the the Lucas Oil thing is that they have windows on each end uh, of the stadium that you can open up, and but I mean, like I said, the drawings make it look like it's going to be permanently open, uh, so that so you still get the cold air, you still get the the somewhat of the elements. It's just that if it rains, you got a giant umbrella over the top, so you know Soldier Field's you know awful conditions won't get worse. Uh, and everything. So 
But yeah, it's like the it's the other thing was <laughs> Lightfoot really is something. I mean, I, I'm I'm glad I don't live in the city anymore. Therefore, I don't really have to worry about her too much. But um, she she's trying to seduce the bears into staying in in Chicago, trying to seduce the bears into staying in Soldier Field, but also at the other time on the other side, threatening. That, well, if the Bears won't play in a renovated Soldier Field, maybe somebody will. Um, you know, threatening that, the, you know, there would be another team that would move to Chicago or whatever to, to play in the newly built uh, Soldier Field. And there have been rumors that it might be the Jaguars. Apparently, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, has ties uh, somewhat to Chicago and, uh, you know, they would definitely be the White Sox of the uh, of the city, for sure. I mean, it would be people would show up, but would they sell out like they do, even when the Bears are awful? I don't know. I don't know. They're it, playing, competing with each other would be a mistake, especially in the first few years when you're trying to build a fan base. Like I is like I don't I don't know if I'd be if as an NFL owner if I'd be crazy enough to be the second team in Chicago. I, I don't know if it's just one of the things in this 1920 football drive that I, I didn't get clips of. Again, we'll got, have clips of the Marinelli speech here in a little bit. But Peanut Tillman talked to the team and talked about this is a Bears town first, even with the Jordan and, and the, the Blackhawks and the Cubs and everybody winning championships. This is still a blue and orange town First, this team lives for the Bears, and that is 100% true. And I don't know if anybody would want to try to compete with that. You would have to come into Chicago not wanting to compete with the Bears, at least not at first anyway. You'd have to let your product on the field speak for itself versus coming in there talking about how you're superior to the team that, that rules the town despite other teams and other franchises in the town having more success, winning championships, it's still a Bears town first, no matter what. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it, the Chicago market obviously is intriguing, the number three market in the country, um, the most passionate sports fans in the country, uh, you know, with the, the Cubs, the Sox, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, uh, and so on. It's a, it's a passionate town. You win for them, and they'll love you forever. And that's part of what Peanut Tillman was saying as well. Talking to those young players, like you come in here, you put in the work, and you'll be a legend in Chicago. It's true. He's one of them. He would know. So it's, it wouldn't be hard to win Chicago over, but it would sure as, be, sure as hell be damn near impossible to be the first option when the Bears are in town. So good luck to anybody who takes that deal if it ever becomes a reality. I think it would be cool to have two teams in Chicago. But uh, if the Bears are playing at noon, you better be out of town or playing at three because competing with the Bears, I think, especially in the early going, would be an enormous mistake. Enormous. So we'll see what happens. But it's, uh, you know, she was saying all kinds of crazy stuff like, you know, like I said, trying to seduce the Bears to stay in town on one hand but also threatening them uh, with the other and saying an outrage just it also shows she has no idea what she's talking about when she said 
that Bear fans will not follow the Bears into the suburbs. It's like, it's like, bitch, they followed them to London. That stadium was loaded with Bear fans. And not just UK Bear fans, but Bear fans. They flew to London to be there. When anytime we go anywhere, there is a healthy contingency of Bear fans. We fly all over the country at the drop of a hat to see our guys in person. We will make a 30-mile trip to Arlington Heights to see the team. What are you talking about? They won't follow the team in the suburbs. You're out of your goddamn mind. I thought it was so stupid when I read. It's like, did she really, really say that? If she said that, then she obviously has no grasp of this city's love for the team. You know, it's like she's more going on impulse uh, or thinking in financial terms of how much it would hurt the city itself to lose the Bears than she is actually thinking any anything like a fan who wants to keep the Chicago Bears in Chicago. It speaks to a lack of knowledge and awareness, uh, a full context of what is actually happening here. And it's it really, really makes me angry when she says things like that because you're the mayor of Chicago and you don't seem to grasp how important the city is or how important the Bears are to the city. You're thinking, because the way that she acts, she's thinking far more in a financial uh, repercussion uh, thing than anything else. She's far more worried about the millions the city will lose if the Bears leave. All the revenue lost in, in the hotels and restaurants for the, you know, the fans coming into town or visiting people coming in town to see the games and all that kind of stuff. She's far more worried about that, or at least that's what her comments say, than she is about being an actual Bears fan wanting to keep the Bears in Chicago where they've been their entire 103 years in the league and keeping them in soldier field where they've lived for the last 50 plus years. So, you know, it it just makes me angry because it shows a level of ignorance about this team and about its connection to the city that the mayor of Chicago should not have. She'd have a deeper grasp and a deeper feeling. It also shows that her aides aren't helping her at all because you can't say ignorant stuff like that. You just... It just, it's so aggravating. They, the fans won't follow them to Arlington Heights. Really? You ever see the, 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 the one time the Bears went out to Dallas? Dallas, when they had, right after they built that new stadium, I think it was like 2011, 2012, they went out to Dallas, and there were more Bear fans than there were Cowboy fans in that stadium that night. And personally, for me, 2013 was the last time I saw the Bears play in person. I went down to St. Louis when the Rams were still there. I saw the Bears play the Rams in St. Louis, and it was literally 50-50 Bears versus Rams fans. There were like literal sections like, the, oh, that's a Navy section. That's where all the Bear fans are. Well, that's a little bit more blue and gold. That's, that's where the fans oh, nope, there's more Bear fans. It was literally 50-50. You couldn't tell who the home team was during the football game because whenever the Bears did something, it sounded just as loud as it did when the Rams uh, did something. We traveled. Okay, we will travel. I traveled five hours to be at that game. I was not alone. Okay, I was not alone. And that's the same for every game the Bears play. No matter where they go, Bear fans will be there. So saying that the Bears, that Bear fans wouldn't follow the team to Arlington Heights is bananas nonsense.
just unbelievable. So, yeah, it, it like I said, it shows a gross misunderstanding of the fan base and their connection to this team. You know, she just it it, um, it really it really does make her look bad when she says goofy shit like that. So. Anyway, guys, that's all I have for the news and notes. Let's go ahead and dive into the crux of this thing with the 1920 football drive and everything that we had in the video. A lot of good stuff in there. So as we dive into this 1920 football drive, I believe it dropped on Monday or Tuesday, just before veterans reported uh, to camp. I believe it was Tuesday that it came out. And um, it's only about 20 minutes long, not very long, so it's not like you have to give up your afternoon uh, to watch it or anything uh, like that. But uh, lots of good stuff they packed into it. And then, of course, like I said, my favorite part being the uh, Marinelli speech, which we'll get to here in just a minute. But... um, Excuse me. It started. Um, it takes place during the the last week of uh, workouts for. I, I'm guessing those would be the mandatory uh, workouts for OTAs in June. And the theme of the video is raising the standard. And you see Eberflus and, and Ryan Poles on the practice field while the guys are stretching, and uh, they're talking, um, saying that the the, the standard. And raising a standard or establishing a standard starts with them, as in Poles and Eberflus. And then it will trickle down to the coaches, and then the coaches will express that standard to the players. And then when you know you really have something, you know when it's working, is when your leaders will step up and enforce the standards themselves. Like, you don't have to do it because Roquan's going to do it. You don't have to do it because Justin Fields uh, is going to do it. You don't have to do it because Robert Quinn is going to hold the standard. And when watching the after show, uh, you know, the recaps with Olin Krutz and Lance Briggs, Alex Brown, those guys all played for Lovey. When it's, you know, a very similar situation as far as the same uh, teachings and the same ideals uh, and whatnot, you heard them talk about it all the time. When they saw something that they didn't like from last year's team, they would always talk about how, you know, Olin would say something to to these guys. And, uh, you know, Briggs and Erlacher or Julius Peppers or even Peanut was holding so-and-so to this standard in practice. These guys talked about holding themselves accountable versus waiting for the coaches to do it. And that's a big part of the Marinelli speech that we'll get here get to here in just a uh, uh, minute. But um, one of the things that I uh, that was important in that conversation was uh, Ryan Poles said that um, basically when he came to town, he challenged Mooney uh, and Cole Komet to work directly with uh, Justin Fields during the offseason to kind of build their rapport, to build their connection uh, and whatnot so that uh, they're ahead of the game when these uh, practices and, and, you know, when training camp starts, so... Uh, then we move on to a a visit inside the quarterback room. Now, it's a fairly sparsely attended room because we only got three quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, Justin Fields is in there. Uh, I believe it was, I mean, obviously Trevor Simeon is our backup, and I think Nathan Peterman was in there at the time. I don't know if it was uh, who our third guy, if, if we'd had Peter, Peterman was on the team by then, so it was probably him. But um, 
Uh, Janako, the quarterback coach, is leading the room. Luke Getze uh, is in there as well. And in the corner, in the back, just like he said he would be, is Coach Eberflus. And, uh, you know, what's this defensive-minded uh, former defensive coordinator doing in the quarterback room? He's in there uh, like he said he would. And, and his philosophy, like when he would talk about it during the offseason, was that, you know, basically what he would like to do when he's in the room with them is to tell Justin Fields how a defense is going to defend them when he does this. Here's what the defense is going to do to try to give – you know, some extra mental work to, you know, to let Justin know what to expect when he's out there on the field. So there are no surprises. You know what I mean? And I think that's going to be hugely beneficial to the team. And I think it really shows that, uh, you know, Iberflus is serious about being a, like a CEO uh, of the team. Whereas, you know, he's going to let his offensive coordinator call the plays. He's going to let his defensive coordinator call the plays. And he's going to be the one making the command decisions at the end of it all. So he's not going to be out there all, at all, you know, saying we're, we're going to be calling this play or we're calling that one or let's do this or that uh, or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, he's going to be more in, in coaching the team than he is about just one side of the ball, which is a, obviously a breath of fresh air for, for us after four years of, of Nagy not being able to handle being the play caller and the head coach uh, at the same time. So uh, one of the funny things that happened was Lucas Patrick – uh, walked into the uh, meeting, just kind of walks in, says hello to everyone, and Luke Getze asks him if he has a strong belly button today. So that's obviously an inside thing that's going on between them. He lifts up his shirt, shows him his belly button, uh, like cups his hand around it, asks him if they want a donut. I mean, it was, it was just one of those things, I guess, was to show like the camaraderie and the rapport that these guys have with each other. Uh, already because basically everyone in that room except for Justin Fields is new to the franchise like literally the six or seven guys in that room Justin Fields is in year two and he's the senior member of the team basically everybody else in that room even Lucas Patrick all of those guys are brand new and yet they're having this moment uh, out there it also really made me miss being a part of a football team because that's the kind of silly stuff you run into uh, every day so but Sitting there in the quarterback room, the few moments that we had, uh, you know, the glimpse of, of walking, of watching there, it really seemed like the details are going to be important. The situational football, you hear him talk about uh, in there. Um, they, they specifically talked about how to handle the situation where it's like the clock is running when the ball is set. So it's like, talking to Justin about getting his team up to the line of scrimmage, making sure that they know what to do. So at the first sound, we snap the ball and we're off and running. The second that referee steps away from the ball, boom, we're snapping the football uh, kind of thing. Now, in all defense to, to Nagy and, and, you know, and, and Pace and their regime uh, and everything, I don't think we ever got a chance to see uh, anything like that. But we also didn't see anything like that on the field in their time there, so maybe that wasn't an emphasis or something that they worked on. Um, you know, somebody who was a big proponent of uh, situational football that has the rings to show for it would be Belichick. He was constantly uh, putting this team through scenarios on what to do in this situation here, and I feel like there's an emphasis there. It's just, it, it gives you a feeling that things are headed in the right direction. You know, maybe we won't get, win 13 games this year and blow our way through the playoffs and 
all of that kind of stuff. But I feel like we are moving in the right direction. Things are being taught the, the right way. We're emphasizing on the right things. And, and I think we're going to see dividends this year. Uh, you know, I think that even if the wins don't come, like when Lauren and I, Lauren Cox and I talked at the, at the end of the review or uh, the bears review uh, a week or two ago, that, you know, it's more about what the product is on the field than it is about wins and losses in this first year. Obviously, as Bear fans, we struggle for so long, we want to see this team win. But I think it's far more important that we're competitive, win or lose, this year. Because, I mean, it was, it was getting so bad during the Nagy era that we didn't even feel good about the wins sometimes. And... I would like it for the. I would like for it to be the other way. I think I even said this to Lauren. It's like I want to feel good about the losses. You know, I would. I would like to feel good about the losses. I would like to feel even better about the wins. Obviously, but it's like I think I would. I want to walk away feeling like my team competed, feeling like my team had a chance, as opposed to just embarrassing me for sixty minutes and then finally they put a bullet in my head to put me out of my misery at the end of those 60 minutes. And now it's finally over, so I don't have to watch them fumble their way around this anymore. And, you know, the other way with, like, what what I like classified as yeah, but victories, especially in those last two, three seasons under Nagy. It's a lot of yeah, but wins uh, under under him. It's like, yeah, we won, but, yeah, we, we you know, if, if, if not for DeAndre Swift dropping that pass in the end zone, we'd lose. You know, we should have lost. And you, know, you just never really walked away, especially in, like, the back half of 2019, all of 2020, all of 2021. You just didn't walk away feeling good about where the team was, feeling good about how the team won uh, and things like that. And I would, I think that's far more important to see that this year than it is about the wins and the loss columns in this first year. Obviously, I want the Bears to win as many games as they possibly can. I want them to win the goddamn Super Bowl. But... Thinking in terms of the big picture, thinking in terms of what's real, what's realistic, I think improving our competition level, not getting blown away by Green Bay um, or anything like that. You know, I would feel much better. Like think week one, 2018, when we lost that game to Green Bay, you walked away from that game feeling fantastic. We're like, yeah, we blew the lead and we lost the game, but I think we really got something here. I think we really got something here. Now it's just a matter of it all coming together kind of thing. Maybe it'll happen over time. Maybe it'll happen next week, whatever it was. That's how I want to feel about losses this year. That's how I want to feel about the losses this year. Like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't come away with the win, but, man, Justin Fields looked good. And, you know, uh, Kyler Gordon, blah, blah, blah. You know, just I want to walk away having – not. I don't want to – because I did this last year. It was like I was searching – for things to be optimistic about last year. I would much rather for it to just be obvious, like it was in 2018. But like, yeah, we lost the game, but, man, the debut of Khalil Mack, the way that Mitch looked with this new offense, blah, 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 that we walked away feeling really, really good about that game despite losing it to, to Green Bay. Because we were supposed to lose, so it wasn't that big a deal that we actually did lose. It sucked that we lost, but we were expected to lose we played a hell of a game, and we showed the country who we were. And that team carried through the rest of 2018, thank God. But that's how I want to feel after losses. I want to be optimistic after a loss instead of sitting here wanting to throw myself off a bridge like I did after that Cleveland game 
in 2021 or after pretty much any game. Like, the, 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 the finale against the Vikings was pathetic. I couldn't wait for that game to be over. I don't want to feel like that anymore. And hopefully that's the product we can put on the field uh, this year to avoid having to feel that. So uh, other things, other highlights of the video, the, um, it showed the players' trip to Wrigley Field, which is actually the former home uh, of the Chicago Bears. Um, some of the highlight moments, uh, they had the guys, they were doing like a bunch of team-building exercises. They were playing um, uh, bags, or as some people call it, cornhole. You're, I'm going to go with bags because it's just such a, such a messed-up name. Do you know Jay Cutler's a professional cornhole player now? That's, yeah, that's what Jay's doing with his retirement years. He's, instead of trying to get a new TV job, and I think he might have one, but, yeah, instead of trying to get back on TV, he's, uh, he's a professional cornhole player. Saw it on ESPN. Anyway, uh, playing bags with each other. Um, they, had a, they were building a plastic cup castles, like out of those beer cups you spend eight bucks to get a Miller Lite in uh, Wrigley Field, which I would never do because, number one, I don't, I don't drink beer but, uh, or alcohol at all for that matter. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm the one that's spending seven bucks on a soda while you spend eight bucks on a beer. But um, the, one funny moment was uh, someone kind of hung a curve on Montgomery, and he whiffed ridiculous. Like his helmet came off. The whole night, everybody's standing there is jumping up and down, laughing at him. That's just one of those moments. You know, you, you can't look that bad in front of your guys and not expect them to laugh you out of the room. Uh, and then there was a home run derby, and I believe it was Cole Komet. Uh, that won, and he ended up winning a signed Ryan Sandberg journey uh, jersey. Now, growing up and being a Chicago sports fan my whole life, uh, the 23s seem to be significant. Jordan with his 23, uh, Hester wearing his 23, and then, but uh, before there was Jordan, the 23 in town was Ryan Sandberg. He was our second baseman for all those years. He was a, is a Hall of Fame player, uh, an amazing baseball player, one of my favorites. Uh, growing up. So even though baseball is pretty low on the uh, hierarchy of sports that I like, it'd be pretty goddamn cool to get a Ryan Sandberg jersey and a, a signed Ryan Sandberg jersey. That's one of those ones you got to spend the money and get a frame. That's, uh, that's going up in the, it's going up in the man cave for sure. So, and then um, they showed the, the rookies going on tour, the city of Chicago uh, were that uh, you know showing them the different various sites and stuff in the city. Then ended the tour ended in Soldier Field. They get to walk out on the field for the first time. Uh, you could see their name on like the uh, the TV rings uh, around uh, the stadium. Welcome to the, you know twenty twenty two Bear rookies and stuff like that. Um, and then before we get to Coach Marinelli, the um, Peanut Tillman speech, which I mentioned earlier before was basically I think it was him talking to the younger guys and telling them what it means to be a bear. And, you know, if you work hard for this city, they will love you. It's like ask any 85 bear who probably hasn't paid for a meal since they started, since they won the Super Bowl. You know, I know Mongo McMichael, who's sent some prayers up for Mongo. That guy's hanging on. God bless him. And I really just kind of wish he would let go. I mean, I don't want to live in a world without Mongo McMichael, but I'd, uh, yeah, he's, he's keeping a positive face. Every, every picture of him I see, he's got a smile. 
uh, and everything. But um, he is literally a shell of his former self, and I, and I hate seeing him that way. And to know um, that he's suffering, it's like I, I don't want to see him like that anymore. So I'm sorry. Anyway, um, back to uh, Peanut. You know, ask those guys. Ask anybody who's been a player in Chicago. It's a special thing. You know, you are treated like royalty in Chicago, number one, because, as Peanut said, this is a Bears town first. Never mind Jordan in his six rings or the Hawks winning three rings in five years or, or anything like that. This is a Chicago Bears town first. The city revolves around the Bears, which is another thing I don't think Lightfoot quite understands. It's a Bears town first. It always has been and always will be. And, um, you know, you work hard for the city and it loves you. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a special thing, A, being a Chicago Bear, and it would be special for you if you put in the work to be successful because this city will always love you. Absolutely always. I mean, even look at guys like, um, like Mike Brown and Kyle Long, guys like Tommy Harris, guys who, who started strong but you know and did well and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but injuries kind of plagued the second half uh, of their careers and in Kyle Long's sense cut their careers short uh, and whatnot. But Kyle Long's still a legend in this town because Kyle Long came in, he put in the work, he showed a little personality. You know, For a while there, he was the most popular guy on the team and he's a freaking guard for Christ's sake. You know, it just shows. You don't have to be the quarterback. You don't have to be a running back or a receiver or anything, one of those flashy positions. You show a little personality and you get your job done. City of Chicago will recognize it and it will love you all at the same time. So I think that's the the emphasis that uh, Peanut was trying to uh, put across. And then uh, on the last day of the OTA practices, they honored Brian Piccolo. And uh, everyone on th- on the field was wearing the number forty one uh, jerseys that uh, were retired uh, in his honor when he died of uh, cancer. And I think Piccolo was only like twenty six, twenty seven when he passed away. He was a young, young guy. And um, what's really unfortunate is that I've, he lived in a time where I think that's a curable form of cancer now. Like if if he lived in today's day and age and modern medicine and whatnot, that he he'd still be with us. You know, he, he probably was still, you know, he would still have gotten the cancer, but we'd have been able to help him as opposed to the way that he suffered when he had to pass away because technology hadn't caught up just at that point. So, all right. So let's go ahead and get to it. Um, actually, one thing before that, um, during that, um, at the end of that Brian Piccolo practice, Eberflus brought the team together. And he's like, what's the, you know, what do we emphasize here every single day? Alignment, assignment, key, and technique. He's like, you know it cold because they want it done fast. So if you know where you're supposed to be, you can get there fast as opposed to, you know, but he wants his players reading, reacting. He doesn't want anybody out there on the field thinking because you've done the work and you already know. So the thinking's already been done. So go out there and play. React. This guy goes there, you beat him to that point, you get there first kind of thing. And I, and I love that, that emphasis. So 
I just wanted to, because I jotted that down as the notes here. All right, so here we are, main event of the 1920 football drive. Uh, I watched this during my uh, lunch break uh, on, uh, from work earlier uh, this week uh, to bring Marinelli in, and, um, you know, he, he, list, he named him as a, he's a friend, first and foremost, but he's my mentor, and he's the best of the best, uh, as he said. And um, Marinelli comes in with that. I wonder what the injury was because that damn thing was permanent. He still limps around uh, even to this day. But uh, as he's kind of gimping around the, uh, the, the room, he, he delivers this, this amazing speech. And the first thing that he talks about was basically the new beginning, embarking on this new journey. Um, and uh, I, I just love the, uh, the way that he talked about it. As you embark on a new season, new coaches, right? New scheme, new players. Well, they're, they're making these predictions that oh, there's a ceiling on you. There's a ceiling put on you. And the one thing way back with flu, when we were together, we'd sit in a meeting. We never put a ceiling on a man, ever. Oh, he's only a backup. If you accept that, that's bullshit. First, in your mind, never allow it to enter. You determine what goes in your mind. Okay, now if you're soft and you're weak, you let that shit hit you. <laughs> uh, I love that. But, I mean, the, the main thing there was the, the philosophy that you never put a ceiling on a man, I think is very, very important. Because even if you were brought in as an undrafted rookie free agent, even if you were brought in as a fifth-round draft choice or signed the veteran minimum for, to get a one-year prove-it deal, the Bears didn't bring you in to fill a roster spot. We filled you in. We brought you in to help the team. We didn't bring you in like, oh, he's just the backup. So, you know, that's, that's, that's roster filling. Bringing you in because, like, yeah, there's somebody ahead of you on the roster, but that doesn't mean we don't think you can either, A, earn the job or perform if we need you to, if the guy ahead of you goes down, we brought you in because we think you can help the team. And I think that is very important and an extremely important message to dole out to your players, to let them know. Yeah, I signed you for one, one year and, and $900,000 you know, with no guaranteed money. But if I need you to step up, I fully expect you to do so. I have all, conf- all the confidence in the world. If I didn't, I wouldn't have signed you, period. That is the message that you're sending out there, and it keeps guys motivated that even though they're not top of the depth chart, even though they weren't given all the big money that shows that they'll be relied upon, to know that they're still being relied upon is gives them something to show up and go to work to, you know, go to work for every single day, and I think that's amazing. So next thing Coach Marinelli talked about was being a monster of the midway and what it actually means. Monsters of the Midway, when you say it, you don't know what you mean yet. We took that thing to another level. Offense, defense, special teams. That is your history. And you don't bow in front of that. Chest up, forehead up, and that's how you attack this thing. I love that. Chest up, forehead up, that's how you attack. You don't bow to the tradition. You stand up for it. You know, you extend that legacy. You become a part of it and, and make it your own. It's, it's uh, so amazing. And then as he's talking about going into the season, he uh, said that, um, you know, what we're doing now is we're building up our armor for the season. Now, 
as you're doing that, here's a couple things for you. Build your armor for the season. You embrace this heat today. Man, that's what the monsters do. You embrace the elements. Cold, heat, it doesn't matter. Environment changes, we don't. No excuses, no explanations. I'm sure Coach Flew has talked about that. This whole thing that Coach Flew is doing, offense, defense, teams, is built on speed and execution. So if your armor's not ready, you ain't got a chance. Building up your armor, you know, getting ready for the season, taking your lumps now. I, I remember when I had uh, Emery Moorhead on the show uh, a few years ago during training camp because I wanted to talk to him about what the, what the differences were like between what players have to go through today and what he endured in Ditka era, uh, you know, back in the Platteville, Wisconsin days where they had three-a-days, every practice was live, every practice was hitting, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And my own personal example of, of, of you know using training camp to get your body ready for the season, literally building up your armor for the year. And I, I told him, I was like, I just remember when I was during my uh, playing days, was that for the first week or so, my arms from my shoulder, from the you know tip of my shoulder all the way down to my fingertips, covered in bruises. Whether I was wearing pads or gloves or whatever, my arms would be covered in bruises because my body just wasn't used to the punishment. But as the season went along, I never got a bruise again for the rest of the year because my body had conditioned itself to handle what practice and games and everything were doling out uh, towards me. And he's like, that's a great example of what that's like because you have to build up you, you know, what your body's going to It's not a short season. It's, even though it's only 17 games in, in relative to Major League Baseball and, and basketball, NHL, where they play 80 games, 160 games, on uh, things like that, the NFL only plays 17 games in the regular season. But it's a five-month season, six-month season. If you still want to be at your best at the end of the season, you got to start building up your armor now. And um, whether it be physically or mentally, you know, it's, it's tough to go out there physically in the heat. That's where the mental toughness comes in. You just got to endure. Just got to keep performing. Pretend like it's not hot. Embrace the heat, like you said. The environment changes. We don't. I love that line. I absolutely love it. Okay. And then the bulk of, uh, of what he was talking about to emphasize there was the theme of the episode itself was raising the standard. Next thing, standards. The worst thing that can happen. There's a standard, and a coach walks by a mistake, okay? You never walk by a mistake if there's a standard, as hard as it can be. Say, not good enough. Do it again. Builds morale. Everybody's accountable. The hardest thing is to say to somebody else, man, you didn't do it right now. That's morale. That's building morale when you can call it out. You know what the hell you're supposed to do. You know what time you're supposed to be here. You know the weight you're at. You know you've got to build your armor. You know that. And I think that's what the... Because you, you heard at the beginning of the episode with Iberflus and uh, Ryan Poles talking about the standard starts with us. It will trickle down to the coaches. The coaches will emphasize that to the players. And then before you know it, the leaders, the players, will start to hold each other to that standard. And that's what he's talking about there. He's talking about, you know, the coach. You know the standard is, you know, you don't have a standard 
when a coach walks by a mistake. And obviously the first, I mean, obviously it, was, it wasn't directed uh, at Nagy or anything like that, but when you think about um, Anthony Miller and the fact that he was still on the team for five months before the Bears traded him uh, and whatnot, or you think about, um, what was that idiot's name? <laughs> now I can't remember his name. But the, the other receiver who did it in the regular season against the the Saints and that he served his two-game suspension and he came back and started playing right away. If there's a standard, he's no longer on the football team after he's suspended. You know, maybe he serves his suspension and then he's cut, or maybe you just cut him and let him serve his suspension for somebody else uh, kind of thing. It just seemed like there was no accountability under Matt Nagy or a tremendous lack of it. So hearing them say that, Poles and Eberflus, and then hearing Marinelli talk about it, you know, that's... uh, And then, like I said, looking, talking about, you know, watching the after show uh, over the last couple of seasons and whatnot, those three guys who played under Lovey talk about a standard, talking about holding each other uh, accountable and how they felt there was a lack of accountability under Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace and, and whatnot, and it was really hurting the team. So t- to hear it be talked about uh, the, that way in the video and all that kind of stuff kind of gives me hope that, the, like I said before, with even if – just the feeling that I was getting from Iberflus being in the quarterback room uh, and stuff like that, I really do feel like we're on the right track here. I know we're very early into the process, and this could all fall apart and it could all go wrong or whatnot, but it's just a feeling that I get, a vibe that I'm getting, you know, that we're, we, we've got the right people in place doing it the right way. So not only do we have what I feel like are the right people, but they have the right message and they're delivering it the right way, and I think it's going to hold. I do, you know, jot it down. Maybe that'll be a freezing cold take a couple years from now. But right here, right now, I'm liking where all this is headed. Uh, and then finally, he puts a button on it all with probably one of his fa- one of the, one of the favorite things that he said uh, throughout the whole speech. And the last thing I'm going to leave you with is this: in your mind, honor your dreams by doing the work that's required. It's got to be every day because you don't get to do it long. Okay. Have a great day, man. Thank you. It's a great way to, uh, to end the, the speech. Honor your dreams by doing the work that's required. That's, that's fantastic. Because sometimes these guys who have been on this trajectory their whole lives forget how hard it is to get where they're at and how many people would give a limb to even spend a day as a player in Hallis Hall to be able to you know, get paid to play professional football, let alone be somebody who gets to make millions doing it. It, uh, you know, it was most likely a dream you've had since you were a toddler. And here you are playing for the most storied franchise the NFL has to offer, one of the originals. One of only two that was here day one that's still standing, both of them being Chicago franchises, by the way. The Bears and the now Arizona Cardinals. But it was the Bears on the north side, the Cardinals on the south side, and the Cardinals moved to St. Louis and then Arizona and so on. But, uh, you know, the only team that's been around as long as us is Arizona as far as like day one in the NFL. Packers didn't join the NFL until 1921, so we've got a year on them. But it's, uh, 
it, it's a big deal that you're here in the building. It's a big deal that you are a professional football player, and it's an even bigger deal that you're a Chicago Bear fan. Don't piss it away by not doing the work. Do the work, get your job done, and you'll see the results on the field, not only for yourself but for your team as well. It's amazing. Uh, and as soon as the video was over, I immediately uh, you know, reached out to my best friend who's a uh, head football coach at a high school in the Quad Cities. And uh, last year was year one for him, and it went horribly. I think he only had like maybe 19 kids uh, on the whole team. I think all season they scored like 14 points. Literally, they scored like two touchdowns all year long. Most of the games ended, you know, with, with the running clock because of the mercy rule because they were down 35 to nothing and, and things like that. It was a rough first season. And I was especially thinking that the whole we don't put a ceiling on a man thing would be huge to tell those kids. Because after that season where not only did they go 0-8 or 0-10 or whatever it was, um, nobody's expecting them to be much better this year. So they've already put your ceiling on you. So let's go out there and show them where our ceiling is and showing them that it's nowhere near where they think it is. I'm not putting a ceiling on you. I'm not saying you're a one-win team. I'm not saying you're a two-win team. I'm saying we're going to go out there and we're going to do our best to try to win all our games, let alone one or two. Never mind scoring a second touchdown in a football game. We want to win games this year. And um, it's like I think this would be important, you know, a video to play for your kids or for you to use as material when you talk to your kids. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's fantastic stuff. And it translates – not only into football, but into life as well. You know, honor your dreams by doing the works required, doing the work that's required. If you want to get where you want to go, you got to put the time in. You got to put in the work uh, and do it. It is a fantastic, uh, fantastic message. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, Marinelli's speech, obviously. Uh, and um, it was, uh, I mean, it fired me up right away. And then I saw our friend uh, Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery write an article about the video saying basically the same thing. Marinelli gave an amazing speech that had us wanting to run out there out on the field. It's like, goddamn right. Amazing. So, um, yeah. It also kind of pisses me off that uh, Phil Emery kind of ran Marinelli out of town uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that sucked. But uh, I don't think that Marinelli would have stayed if, even if it was Bruce Arians. I think he was on his way out anyway because I think Arians was going to bring in Todd Bowles to be his uh, coordinator if he got the job. But uh, either way, it sucked that it happened the way it did, you know. So anyway, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Um, last and final thing we got here is the uh, power rankings of the – we're just doing the helmets because a lot of these I haven't seen in full context. The uniform, A few of them I have, but not all of them. We're simply doing a power ranking of the helmets that have been released uh, by the 13 franchises that are going to have uh, alternatives this year or throwbacks. And um, the uh, I think the Cowboys have two, actually. Um, but never mind that. We'll lump them in together because they're basically the same. Um, so we got a power ranking. There were 13, including the Bears, that released uh, up to this point anyway. Maybe there will be a few more before the season actually gets started, but I think everybody's done uh, at this point. 
And coming in at number 13, and this should be no surprise to anyone, Chicago Bears. The, um, and, and I think what, what really hurts the Bears is that the first image that I saw was the image of Roquan, orange helmet, orange jersey. Uh, that certainly did not help because you guys already know how I feel about the orange jersey. And uh, the fact that they went with the orange helmet is a living nightmare for me. And um, what makes it worse is that not only did we find out that it's going to be introduced on Thursday night football, week number six against the Washington Commanders, we also get to see it a couple of weeks later when we play the Cowboys in Dallas. So this is going to be a home and an away uniform for us this year. Hip, hip, hooray. And ironically, coming in at number 12, just ahead of the Bears, would be the, the alternate helmet for the Washington Commanders, which is an all-black helmet with the numbers of the player on the side and the yellow uh, W logo on the forehead of the helmet. And again, I think what, what really hurt this one in its standing, because the helmet alone isn't that bad. It's pretty weak, but I've seen the full uniform, and I hate it. So Bears 13, Washington 12. Dallas comes in at number 11 because it's a plain white helmet with, the, with the, bli- the, the blue and white stripes per the usual, but the helmet is white as it was when they joined the league. And it's just a plain white star, no trim or anything around it. And their other alternative is the same helmet with the regular logo, with the navy and blue trim around the, uh, the navy blue star. Um, so, it's, like I said, it's basically the same thing. I don't, I did, navy and white doesn't really do it for me, especially on that helmet with the gray face mask. It's pretty weak. I didn't like it. Coming at number 10, the Carolina Panthers, they went with an all-black helmet as well. And uh, with just like the, I mean, the Panther on their helmet now is black. So it's almost like the, the, the creature kind of disappears into the helmet. And all of the accents um, on the helmet now are all navy. So even the, uh, and, I, and I know this because I, I was up last night uh, creating all of the helmets for my um Picks board, and um, even the, the 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 little bit of gray or silver, I should say, that's on the cat has all been switched to the powder blue or the baby blue or whatever color it is. Um, so it's it's another one where it's it's plain, and I'm not really a fan. Maybe this one will go higher on the board when when I see the uniform in full context, or are they just going to wear their they're black jerseys with a black helmet kind of thing. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, number nine is the Houston Texans and their red, the battle red helmet, as they're calling it. It is basically the same helmet, but instead of a blue, the, the dark blue, the navy blue helmet, it's red because the face mask is still navy. And it's also kind of got a metallic finish, so it's a little bit sharper because, uh, you know, obviously it stands out with the metallic shine and whatnot, but a little too much red for me. 
uh, especially if they're going to pair that with the red helmets. I don't know. So I haven't, but they just show the helmet, not what the uniform is going to look like on that particular game day. Not looking forward to it. Number eight, as we kind of, you know, working our way upwards, the Jets uh, also going with an all-black helmet. Uh, instead of a white Jets logo, it's green with the white trim, uh, and the face mask is green. So it's, it's actually not a bad look. Um, they already had, like when they released their new uniforms a couple years ago, they had a green one, they had a white one, and they had a black one, and now the black helmet will go with the uh, black uniform. I think the gray face mask is kind of what does it for me as far as like putting it ahead of all these other ones is that it's, it's uh, you know, there is uh, there's not really, there's some, something to it. There's some substance to it. Uh, I do like it. It stands out a little bit better and it goes well with the uniform that they already had in place for it. Uh, number seven, now we're in the top half. The Eagles just went with an all black helmet, same logo and everything. They've been wearing black uniforms on and off for quite some time now now they just have the black helmet to match it uh it's i've always liked the 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 eagle wing uh logo on the helmet when they switched that in the in the 90s uh and everything or when they updated the logo actually they've always had the wings on the helmets but uh when they had that uh i would also love to see them bring the throwbacks back i think maybe they're doing that next year or something like that but as far as 2022 goes it's just an all-black helmet with the current logo that was a very easy fix for me in photoshop when i made that one last night uh number six arizona another black helmet that seems to be the theme for the most like most teams went with an all black look uh, or whatever um but current logo uh you know just the whole helmet is black face mask the helmet itself but one thing you don't see and one thing you probably won't notice on television what i was seeing in the photos of it is that there's red flecks like little red metallic flecks in the helmet. Not so much that you could actually see it like when, when you know, because I'm sure they're well this for a national TV game or some kind of appearance uh, or what have you. But, um, you know, you probably won't be able to see it. But I noticed it in the pictures, and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, also, it actually looks pretty good on a, on a black helmet. So that's why it comes in at number six. Number five is a, a throwback. The New York Giants. Um to tell you the truth, I've always preferred this uh, helmet versus what they have right now. Uh, going, I mean, they, they went backwards with the NY logo, and it's very simple, and, and, you know, and it works. But I prefer the old Giants helmets where it said Giants across the side as opposed to just NY. Um, so that's why this one comes in as high as it does at number five. The reason that it's at number five and not higher is that the... I always felt like the, the helmets and the jerseys matched a bit closer when the, you know, back in the day when those were the norm for the, for the Giants. Now it looks like they stole the Bills jerseys and are wearing their old helmets. It, it, it's a weird, weird look. Like the, the colors are just a little bit off, uh, and the combination doesn't exactly work. Now maybe that'll be different when we're looking at it on the field when they're playing because they're going to wear these uniforms against us, actually. Week number five, I believe. Uh, in, in the Meadowlands, or MetLife, I should say, um, they're going to wear those old-school jerseys against us, those old-school helmets and uniforms against us, which is very cool. You know, it would be a very cool old-school matchup. The Bears in their, their white tops and navy bottoms, very old-school for me, and uh, the Giants wearing the Giants helmets uh, 
uh, with those old varsity block letters and, and whatnot and with the, with, the, with the white numbers with the red trim, whereas right now it's just plain white numbers and things like that. So, um, you know, I've always liked that helmet. I preferred they'd keep it. And um, so I'll look forward to seeing it week five when, we play the, when they play them uh, this year. Uh, coming in at number four, the Falcons and their red helmets. And they even went with the very first Falcons logo. I learned that last night. I thought they, um, just not really paying attention, thought they just put today's logo on yesterday's helmet kind of thing. Now they went all the way back to like 1966, and they're very first, not even the updated logo that they had in the 90s when they went all black. Um, the one thing I didn't like, though, the why it's number four and not, you know, number one or number two, was the yellow stripe on the outside of their uh, helmet, lo- helmet stripes. Because they have a black stripe down the center and then two white stripes on either side. And then they have this yellow line, this, this yellow stripe, this mini little tiny one. And I don't know where that's from. I'd never seen it before. Like when, when the Falcons, like when I started watching every day in, in, the, in the late 80s and uh, into the 90s when, when Dion was drafted, they didn't have a faint yellow stripe. I mean, that must be something day one for the Falcons that we're not picking up because they didn't have HD cameras back in 1966. But I don't know where the hell that yellow can't, well, that yellow stripe is from what it's for, what it refers to or, or anything. I just know that I don't like it, but overall I love the red helmets. I've always been a fan. I always wish they would bring those back from time to time uh, and everything. The black helmets are very cool, but I always like the red ones. And um, that's why this one's number four. Number three is the saints. Uh, New Orleans, again, with an all-black look, but they had some fun with it. Uh, A little bit of fun that I couldn't quite pull off on Photoshop. So if you look at it on Photoshop, they just have a a gold stripe uh, going across the top of the helmet. When when in actuality, it's a a print of mini fleur-de-lis logos. Kind of like the Seahawks have like a little pattern down their center stripe as opposed to actual stripes. Uh, they have little mini um, fleur-de-lis logos uh, down as, as kind of serving as like their center stripe, all black helmet, black face mask, and then the gold fleur-de-lis logo. It's smoking. It's really, really good. I like it. Um, number two, call me crazy. I said that the, uh, the navy and white uh, was too plain for me with the Cowboys, and that's why they come in at number 11. Number two for me is the all-white Cincinnati Bengal helmet to go along with the all-white uh, uniform they're going to wear with it. Maybe it's because there are actual white bangles in existence uh, that, that, that you know, kind of really sell this uh, for me. But uh, I don't know, man. I dig it. I really do. That's number two. And then finally, at number one, I got to go with the Patriots. That old Patriot pat on the side of the helmet. They're going to wear the old red uniforms that uh, they were wearing when we beat the piss out of them in the Super Bowl. Uh, all those years ago, uh, it's a clean look. I love it. And it was fun putting that helmet together last night uh, in Photoshop. So I can't wait for them to play it so I can use that as the helmet on the uh, picks board uh, when I post that uh, later this year. But uh, there you have it. The Bears at the bottom with that god-awful combination. New England with their throwbacks on the top at number one. And that's going to do it for us, guys. Uh, like I said, hopefully we have as busy a week news and notes wise so i can come back and do this again next weekend uh if not then uh 
we'll just wait till the stories pile up and I can do another show. So, um, but I'm glad you're, you're here. I'm hoping that you're, uh, enjoying these dog days of summer, enduring them with me because, you know, it's here now. Every team is in camp, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we're working towards the, the goal, which is week one at home against the 49ers. Once we get there, everything is right with the world again. So keep your eyes on the social media at BTU underscore Larry on Instagram and on Twitter. And then you can find the group on Facebook. Just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook. So keep your eyes on the social media for when the next episode will drop. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.